Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we continued our study in the book of James, all right? And we looked at one of probably the most infamous portions of Scripture. Consider it all joy, pure joy, when you face trials and tests of many kinds. And of course, we as human love, oh, when the tests and trials come, don't preach it, Pastor. And let me tell you this. I might be kicking myself for preaching because when I started doing this series, when I tell you it was night after night after night, it was one phone call after the other. My brother calls. He's got cancer. He goes, I think this is it. So my heart sank. My son then calls and goes, my brakes failed when I was going down the hill. It was like one thing after the other. I'm like, that's what I get for preaching on testing trials, Lord. Right? But I, as I said a couple of weeks ago, in our self-centered gratification seeking nature, we don't like anything upsetting the apple cart. Come on. Is it just me? Our status quo or our self-directed plans. And when the tests and trials come, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually, we have a tendency to fall back into that old nature, don't we? Fear, anger, doubt, despair. We understand that God is sovereignly in control and allows these situations for a greater purpose, for an eternal purpose, amen? And we looked at the various whys of why these tests and trials come. But there's always an eternal purpose for us as Christians. And then James goes on and gave us the how-to response. The how-to response is this. Consider it all joy when these tests and trials come because you know that God is working them all together for good to mold you into the image of his son. So we understand that there's an eternal purpose behind it. It's for our good, though it may not be good at the time as we go through it, but there's a purpose for it. And that can give us a peace as Christians to know that God is sovereignly in control. And the objective is so that we persevere through the test and trial with the goal of maturing in our faith, becoming more like Christ, so we can represent him or be used by him for a greater purpose, for his glory and honor. And as we're molded into the image of Christ, understand that that is his greatest purpose for us as people, that we become more like Christ, become holy as he is holy. Amen? And with that said, please open up your Bibles to the book of James, and today we're going to look at verses 5 to 12. And we're going to see that the word, chapter 1, yes. Well, I go real fast. Uh, probably be four months before out of James. 5 to 12. And the words of James letter here will give us insight how to biblically and practically approach the situation of the tests and trials of life. So let's read it. James 1, verses 5 to 8. We'll start there. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. First of all, what James is saying here is that when the tests and trials come, and they will come, oh me, anybody have tests and trials in life? We have to see our desires to see them from God's perspective, to see what he's trying to teach us from his eyes and not from a temporal perspective. Take your eyes off the immediate in front of you and put your eyes on God. Amen? It's, listen, this was definitely a time when I can say the Holy Spirit was right there taking my fingers and typing. This is not Rob's. This is from God, what God laid on my heart. Listen to what I have here. In our times of test of triumph, we say to ourselves, Sovereign God, 
the one who holds my life in his hands and guides and directs my path. Let me see and understand the greater purpose of this test, of this trial. And Lord, if it's not for me to know the exact purposes at this time, please let me lean on your wisdom and my knowledge of you and my relationship with you, knowing that you are working all things together for my good and your glory, because these are the assured promises of your word. Those are his promises. He'll never leave us nor forsake us, and he's working it all for his good, our good and his glory. Amen? So if we can grasp hold of what I just said, James calls this wisdom. Wisdom. Seeing everything from God's perspective. Seeing the situation from his eyes and not our own. And I want you to remember, understand James' opening words when he states, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Listen carefully. In the original language, this is a type of Greek conditional sentence and assumes that, in fact, we don't have any wisdom. And guys, from our, inf- our finite perspective, we cannot people, you don't have the wisdom, and you need to ask God for it to help you to see it through the situation. And listen, this isn't worldly wisdom from the Greek philosophers or from the Enlightenment thinkers or the PhDs of our days with all their education. No, it's a godly wisdom from the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit that he illuminates the truth of what's going on in the situation and we lean on his strength, his promises to see us through and not the philosophies of this world because we see what a wonderful job the philosophies and ideologies are doing for our world today. Listen to Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 24 to 25. And I'm going to give you a few scripture verses here that are just wonderful. It says, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, that means everybody, the church, Christ, the power of God, and what? The wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. He's the infinite omniscient God who knows everything. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. He sees the whole picture. So let's not try to lean on our finite minds and how we would respond, but look into the word of God and listen for the voice of God and for his wisdom to see us through the circumstance. Listen to Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and what he'll make your path straight seek him in first corinthians 2 11 to 14 a lot of scripture for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them in the same way no one knows the thoughts of god except the spirit of god what we have received is not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from god so that ready we may understand what God has freely given us. So we can have an understanding, wisdom, godly wisdom. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And this can also be rendered, ready? Interpreting spiritual truths to spiritual men. We can't, if you're not saved, you can't understand the spiritual truths of God. But to the spiritual man, the spiritual woman, he'll illuminate that truth, his wisdom. And then it goes on and says, the person without the spirits doesn't accept these things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. When you talk to people about the things of God and you make certain decisions, you tell people you tithe and give 10% of your salary, they're like, you're out of your mind. Right? But it's foolishness to them. But to the man or woman of God, it's the truth. It's the wisdom of God. Amen? And then listen to Proverbs. Guys, if I can tell you, 
Take time. Go through Proverbs 1 to 7. Read them all, but those 1 to 7 talks about wisdom. And Proverbs 2, 1 to 6 really jump my words and store up my commands within you. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your hearts to understanding. That's godly understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as, as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Ready? For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Seek it. Seek it. And that's why James will go on now. And I have you, if you're truly a Christian, a man or woman of God who's placed their faith in the work of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. When you open up the scripture, will illuminate the truth. So when you're asking for that wisdom, it'll come out of those pages. Or you step back, and I'm getting ahead of myself, or hear that still small voice of the Spirit who will lead you through the situation. Amen? Praise God. But here's the condition. There is a condition. We have to ask. Did you see what James says? Ask for wisdom. So the condition is, the Lord's ready to give it to us, but we have to ask. And here in James, the statement where he says he should ask God, it's the imperative, meaning James isn't just giving us some of his own advice. He's saying this is a command of God. Ask for wisdom, church, and he'll pour it out on you. Amen? And he'll pour it out graciously on his children. How many times when a test and trial has come do we immediately go back to the flesh looking for a temporal answer? Ah, ah, my tax statement just came in. I got it. Well, this happened. This happened. And we look at the temporal. Instead, go to your knees and say, Father, another test, another trial. Take your wife if you're married. Take your husband if you're married. Get in that prayer and say, what do we do? And again, I'll say it a thousand times. Thank you, my beautiful bride, who when I start to get a little, she's like, come on, honey, get back, get back. And we get back into that prayer mode and, and God works it out. Like I said, it was a crazy week. Uh, with one, right, hon? One thing coming after the other. Get our taxes done. It's like, you owe this in taxes. Huh? <laughs> and then all the phone calls. But we praise God through it. We know that he provides. Amen? All right. So I have here, when that, those things come, stop right there. Put your brakes on and seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Amen? Look at things from his perspective. Look what Jeremiah tells us in Jer- Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. Scripture verses, Matt, not up there? Uh-oh. Sorry. All right. Well, we'll get them to you. Jeremiah 29, 11, 13 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Listen, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Then you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What God is saying is, come, ask, seek, and when you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. Not a half-heartedly, oh, this is a bad situation. God, please do something about it. No, when we get on our knees in prayer and say, Lord, what are you teaching me through this? What is the purpose behind this? What's the eternal purpose? Let me see it from your eyes, from your perspective, because I know I'm standing on your promises that you're going to work it out for good. It may not seem so good right now, but you're going to work it out for a purpose. Amen? Amen. And family, when we seek the Lord and ask, listen to what James tells us. He gives it to us generously without finding fault. Do you hear me? Without finding fault. And it says it will be given to you. And church, the word generously means he's going to pour it out on us. Not just hold it back, but pour it out on us. Listen to Matthew 7, 7 to 11. It says this. 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you who ask them? Let me ask you, parents. Parents, Christian parents who love their children, if your kids come to you and are asking for godly advice and godly wisdom, are you going to turn them away? If they seek your counsel in the situation, first of all, parents, let this, there's a time that our kids have to be able to trust us to come to us and talk to us. Let us be open to what they have to say to us. Let's not be the hammer and we counsel them with godly wisdom. But are we going to turn them away? Never. So how much more? Well, our Heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally, if we come to him and ask him for wisdom and guidance and direction and to help you through a test and trial, do you think he's going to turn you away? He gave us his only begotten son and let him go to the cross of Calvary. Do you think Jesus would turn us away? He died for us and intercedes for us. You think the Holy Spirit will turn you away while he's indwelling you? I doubt it. I'll even say no. All right? God won't turn us away when we seek him and ask him. Amen? But unfortunately, we being stubbornly human sometimes need to stop and listen when he answers. And whether that comes through the guiding of our circumstances, which we would say, well, we don't really want it to go that way, but we trust God in the way that it's going, yes. And it may be through, or he speaks to us through his word, through the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, but here's the deal. We have to not only listen, let's hear what he has to say to us. And when, he he when we hear, we obey and do what he tells us. Even if it seems so contrary to your nature, to my nature, or to what the world says. If the Lord puts that on your heart, if it's a principle in his word, we do it. And we trust God and he will bless it. Amen? And he will bless it. With what? The peace that passes all understanding. The peace that passes all understanding. Family, it's a matter of faith. And the root of the question is this. Do we really trust in the one we say we have put our faith in? Step back. Do you really believe that he is God in all his attributes? And that's why, as we were going in Sunday school today, we open up the book and look at the revelation of who this God is. And when we get to understand who he is and the names of God and all the things that he encompasses, can we not trust him? He created the universe. The whole you spoke it. And you're worrying about some little trivial thing? Do you not think he can take care of it? And as your child, as his child, he loves you unconditionally and he'll see you through it? Amen? Quiet out there, church. So it's a matter of faith. A matter of faith. And that is why James says very adamantly, when you ask, believe and not doubt, because the one and when we ask, when we pray, we have to believe and not doubt the Father's love for us, his perfect love and wisdom, through no matter what test of trial we go through. Listen, our request for his wisdom must be backed by genuine trust, a genuine faith in his character, his purpose, and his promises, the promises of his word. He doesn't lie. He's not fickle like we are. His promises are what? Yes and amen. Amen? Praise God. Listen to Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, 
It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and reward those who earnestly seek him. We must believe and not doubt that our Heavenly Father is sovereignly in control over every part of our lives, through every test and every trial. Church, don't doubt the Lord, that the Lord will impart wisdom to you. Listen, and don't come up with the lame excuses. Ah, I'm so unworthy. Yes, we are, but he loves us unconditionally. Or, you know, this is such a trivial thing. God doesn't want to hear about this little part of my life. Yes, he does. When our kids were growing up, to this day, we still want to hear about every part of their life. I know, my wife's going, eh, but, you know, I figured by 20-something, they'd stop hounding us. Lord have mercy. But you know what? Our father, there's nothing trivial in our father's eyes. And uh, I said this to Brother Rich. My mother used to say this. It's an old Italian saying, everybody feels their own pimple. You know what I'm saying? So no matter how trivial we may seem, God cares about it. God cares about it. And please... Right, amen. If he really cared, would he have really allowed this into my life? That's not the kind of thinking we should have. That's hogwash. And as we studied, there are reasons, eternal reasons behind the test and trials. So try to look at it from that perspective, amen. If he cares about the lilies of the field and the sparrows of the air, how much more does he care about you and I as his children? Listen to this verse from Matthew 10, 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Even yours, Joe. All right? Listen, he's omniscient. He knows everything. And he cares for us unconditionally. He knows everything about us. Don't make me laugh, Sal. All right? If we doubt, we're basically saying he's not all that he says he is and his word isn't true and we can't believe it. But if we believe what his word says about our omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, immutable God, we never have to doubt and we trust him through it. Amen? And then James goes on and states, the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded, unstable in all they do. First of all, let me give you, uh, James gives us a visual picture here, that the one who doubts is like somebody being blown around, tossed around by the waves of the sea. What James is saying is that person's faith, it's the highs and lows. When the wave is riding high and they're on the mountaintop, boy, they're faithful. When it goes into the trough, if you will, ah, oh, life, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? They're Faith fluctuates with the tests and trials of life. They're tossed about. They're unstable. And let me ask you, do you ever see a little kid playing by the shoreline, right? And say they're like this high in the water and little ripples are coming in and they got their pail and they're like, eh, and they're playing in the sand. And they're fine. They're happy. They're content. They're smiling. And they get trashed by a wave. And they go, whoa. They get whopped by a wave, right? And they're crying and they're fearful and their whole world changes because a wave hit them. Well, we're like that. And God's saying, don't be like that. Whether it's the ripples, praise the Lord. Whether the wave knocks you down, praise the Lord. Because you know what? Father God is right behind us picking us up and saying, I care for my child. So we don't want to be like the wave tossed around by the wave of the sea. When things are going well, we're praising God. When things are in the, in the toilet, we're like, huh, poor me. No, I know you have a purpose for this. Even if it's my discipline to get me back on track because I started to stray away from my relationship with you, there's a greater purpose. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord.
Remember Peter? What happened? He gets out of the boat, his eyes on Christ, and he's walking on the water. As soon as he looked at the wind and the waves, and what did the Lord say to him? Why would you doubt? You have little faith. We have to trust God when the wind and the waves come. Amen? And family, we've got to stand firm on the rock, who he is and his word. Because listen, no storm can alter that foundation. No storm can get interfere with the relationship that the Father God, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit have with us and we with him. There's nothing that can interfere with that. And why? Because God is the one who allows it, and God's the one who's going to see us through it. There's a purpose. Amen? So James goes on, and, and uh, he says this, If a person doubts God, then they should not expect to receive anything from him. If we're not willing to believe that he is who he is, and we don't ask, then don't think he's going to see you through this. He's going to stand back and say, I'm a gentleman. Do it in your own strength. And when you need me, let me know. So Christian, before it goes too far, seek God. Call on him. Because the people who don't ask, it says, and he's talking to believers here. Remember, he's talking to believers. He's saying, ask. Or else if you don't ask, then you're not going to receive. It's like your kids. They come to you and they ask. And usually, they receive. Usually. All right? Usually. Uh, all right. So what I have down here, you remember those ten spies? They go into the land, right? Or I should say that the spies go into the land. Joshua and Caleb come back and like, whoa, let's go. We're going to take them. But then you got 10 others. And they're kind of stirred up because they saw the Anakites, the giants, the walled cities. They forgot about the God who brought the plagues on Egypt. They forgot. Could you, come on now. Imagine standing by the Red Sea and seeing it wall up and you walk through it. How could you forget that? Right? Or a cloud that's taking you or a fire that's taking you through the trip. Yet they come back and they cower. They didn't trust God in the circumstances. They saw the giants in the land, and they forgot about the God who was above the giants. Amen? God is above our giants. God is above our tests and trials. And he's got it. And there's a reason. I can't tell you what it is, but there's a reason. And you know when you'll understand it? When he embraces you in his arms and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And then we'll understand the reasons and purposes behind it. Amen? And we could go on. Listen, there's another consequence that comes up for doubting. It says a uh, person is double-minded, and it means dipsychos. That's what it means in the Greek. And it's basically a person says, I believe, but on the other hand saying, no, I don't. You're unstable because you don't know where to go with your faith. So he's saying the person's dipsychos, double-minded. There's an instability in the person's faith. They seem to believe when all is well, but when things go sour, they find themselves in time of trouble. They don't know what to do. And even in the midst of the good times and bad times, either one, they fluctuate. They fluctuate. They're unstable, all right, in the areas of life. They simply don't see and believe in the biblical principles and that Father God is in control. That's why Elijah says this in 1 Kings 18 to 21. He went before the people and said this, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And basically what he's saying is, double-minded Christian, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Trinity is God, then follow him and trust him. Trust in the infallibility of his word or walk in your own strength, the ideologies, the philosophies, and the ways of this world, and you'll see where that will get you. Confused, scratching your head, upset, despair, discouragement, but we trust in God. Trust in God. He'll see us through. Amen?
In John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress, there's a character. You know what his name is? Mr. Facing Both Ways. You know what? That is physically impossible. You cannot face both ways. No, give me, well, if you look in the mirror, you can see. No, you can't face both ways. And you can't be a double-minded Christian. You can't walk in the ways of God and walk in the ways of the world. It doesn't work. Right. doesn't work. So he's saying is keep your focus on the Lord and walk with the Lord. Amen? You can't be Mr. Facing both ways. All righty? And then James will go on in this point in his letter, and he seems to go in a totally another direction. So he's talking about facing tests and trials, seeking the wisdom of God, and then all of a sudden I read this portion of Scripture, and I'm like, where's he going with this? So listen, listen, it goes on. Um, at this point, he begins a thought that seems to go nowhere, but as we delve into it, we'll see it absolutely applies. So please turn to James 1, and we're going to look at verses 9 to 11 and see how this absolutely applies to what we've been talking about. It says, the brother in humble circumstances is the glory in his high position. And the rich man is the glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. But the sun rises with scorching wind and withers the grass. And its flowers fall off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. And like, he's just talking about wisdom. Now he's talking about like people in material possessions. Where are you going with this, Lord? So they did my studies. It's not, uh, here in James, he's not necessarily pointing to material possessions, but you see they play a little bit of part. Instead, he's pointing to the positional attitude we have as a result of our circumstances. All righty? So he's talking about attitude, not actually the material things. Now, as remember, when we believers, he's talking to Jewish believers who were dispersed into the known world as a result of persecution, whether by the um, Pharisees or by the Romans, all right? So they're dispersed, so he's talking to them. These are believers who lost everything. It could have been their land inheritance. It could have been their families. It could have been their jobs, their homes. Whatever it was, they were dispersed and lost everything. So he's talking to them. Now follow. This is really, really good when he, because it's God's word. And when he writes that the brother in these humble circumstances is the glory in his high position, we have to understand this word glory means to rejoice. He's saying rejoice in these circumstances. So you're telling me these guys just lost everything and you're telling them to rejoice? And listen, this is the key. Not in the fact that they lost material things, but in the fact that it recurred as a result of their faith in Christ and the position they have in Christ. That they lost everything for the Lord God. Though they seem in the eyes of the world to be in this low position, in the eyes of God that they were willing to give everything up because of their faith, they are exalted in the eyes of God. So he said, rejoice that that's the position you're in. That what you've gained in him far outweighs anything you could have been deprived. You're a child of God. And the trust and trial you find yourself in is the result of your faith in God and his eternal love and his eternal plan for you. So he's saying, rejoice, child of God. No matter what you're going through on this side of eternity, what you have in Christ far outweighs them all. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, 7 to 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that my, I may gain Christ. The Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, he was the up-and-coming Pharisee, training under Gamaliel. He was going to hold a position in the Sanhedrin. He was moving on up in the Jewish social order. <laughs> Meets the risen Christ, 
throws it all away. Why? For his faith in Christ. He went to serve the Lord. And I want you to listen. I want you to listen to this. This is 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. Matter of fact, why don't we turn there? Because the passage is on up there. 2 Corinthians 11, we're going to go from 23b to 28. And listen to what this guy gave up. Listen to what he went through because of his faith in Jesus. Talk about tests and trials in life. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the moon, in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Those are some real good circumstances, aren't they? Sounds like a wonderful life. But he considered it all rubbish what he had and went through all that because of his faith in Christ and knew what he gained in Christ, eternal life and the glories and riches of heaven. He was willing to go through all that and not go back to that life because he saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And so for us, the tests and trials we go through, what does Romans 8.18 says? It says, I consider that our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to what we're going to have in glory. It's a vapor. That's what James tells us we get later on in the book. This life is a vapor. Before you know it, child of God, listen. Uh, I got this from John MacArthur. I thought it was so wonderful that I put it in here. Listen to what he says about the child of God. He may be considered the scum of the world, the dregs of all things in the eyes of the world, but in God's eyes, he is exalted. He may be hungry, but he has the bread of life. He may be thirsty, but has springs of living water flowing through him. He may be poor, but has eternal riches. He may be cast aside by men, but he has been eternally received by God. He may have no home on earth, but he has a glorious abode in heaven, end quote. And I added in, though our bodies may be decaying on the outside, inwardly we're being renewed day by day, growing in the spirit. No matter how the world sees us, no matter what test and trial we go through, no matter what we don't have or we do have, we have Christ and all the riches and blessings in him. Amen? That's what we should glory in. And when the test and trials come, we need to remember who we are in Christ, and we need to remember who is in and over the circumstances. Listen carefully. You can't allow our circumstances to dull, numb, or destroy our spirit of joy. Do you hear me? We need to avoid, we need to guard against becoming bitter, discouraged, or withdrawn, and we have to avoid blaming God or blaming others for our circumstances. Instead, embrace them and say, teach me, show me what's the eternal purpose. Amen? And we can rejoice in all that he's going to do for us. Now James is going to flip the table, if you will, and look at the other side of the coin. Still talking to believers, look what he says. He's going to speak to those um, that are rich, if you will. And he says this, we must see that this person also is a believer. All right? And we have to understand that, listen, Positions and possessions don't impress God. They don't impress God in any way. All right? 
nor do they mean that if a person has a higher position or more possession that they're finding any more favor in God. He just chooses to bless them in a certain way so they can possibly be around other people that they can witness to, all right? Unfortunately, when all is going well and people begin to prosper or move up on that social scale, if you will, a spirit of pride can start to seep in. Do you hear me? All of a sudden, we don't need to rely on the Lord so much because everything's going well. I've got my finances. I've got my this. And you know what? Just look at the United States today. We're pushing God out of the way because, excuse the expression, we're fat, dumb, and happy. All right? And we don't need God because we've got everything. But go to a third real country where they don't know where their food or water is coming from, and you see how they rely on the Lord. Amen? So when this crops in, we've got to be very careful. And I've seen it over the years. People that were, as they say, were in the hungry years. Oh, they were faithful, leaning on the Lord, seeking God. But as soon as they started to make it, all of a sudden, you know, those priorities, going to church didn't matter as much, getting involved in ministry didn't matter as much, because what? They started to receive all the temporal possessions and found themselves content and happy, right? So the Lord, in his infinite mercy, and we learned this word this morning at Sunday school, he's Elkanah, right? He's the jealous God. He doesn't want us to wane away from the relationship with her. And out of being the jealous God, now as we saw in Sunday school today, many times it's seen as um, a bad connotation, but it's not. He's so concerned for us as his children and the relationship we have that if we start to drift, he's going to do things to pull us back into that relationship because he's jealous for us. He wants to pour out his love, his love for us and our love for him. So he's going to pull us back. So when people start to drifting, they got it all going, he may allow those tests and trials to drag them back in so we are dependent on him and not the things of this world. Dependent on the eternal provisions. Family, the idea here is that he's going to call them back in. And let's go on. Right, okay, got it. His drifting is going to call him back in. And when James ends the thought here with these words concerning the rich man, it says this, for the sun rises with the scorching wind and, the with, and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and its beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. And I want you to see something. It's those in humble circumstances, those who are doing well, sooner or later will come to the end of our days. We are going to pass, okay? And all the ability the Lord gives us, all the position, all the possessions, or lack thereof that he imparts to us, are to be used for his glory and his honor. Because when it's all said and done, the only thing that is going to matter is how we used our possessions, how we used our gifts and talents to bring him glory and honor. That's the bottom line. Bottom line, okay? And listen to 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. Listen to this. It says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the fires. Family, it doesn't matter what our circumstances are on this side of eternity. If we placed our faith in Christ, he wants us to use our gifts and talents the possessions we have, all that we, he blesses us with for his glory, for his honor. Whether to be as a witness for him, 
and puts us into an area. Because listen, the people up in the ivory tower need to hear the gospel also. So if God blesses us in a school system, wherever he places us, he wants to use what we have for his glory and honor. If we use it for other purposes, are we saved? Absolutely. We will make our way in. But all those things will just burn away as chaff. But the things we've done for the Lord, the things we've supported for the Lord, we will be rewarded for. And I can't tell you what those rewards are, but let me tell you, if God gives you a reward, a blessing, it's going to be beyond your comprehension. So what he's saying here is what you've been blessed with, use it for his glory and honor. And when we do this, we cling to what, uh, how James will actually finish his line of thought here as we sum up this morning in verse 12. It says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one who perseveres. Family, we're blessed. It's a promise of God that when we persevere through the test and trial, he will bless us. Amen? And this term, stood the test, describes the inner core of a person, how we're going to respond with the circumstances of life. And this also means, in the original Greek, it's doikomos. And it means this. It's taking precious coins, precious metals, and putting them through the fire to see if they're actually genuine. That the don't melt away or they're fake or false. So you're going through the fire to see if you're a genuine. So when he puts us through the test and puts us through the trials, he's saying, is that faith genuine? Really, you say you love me? Then let me see. And we go through the test and hopefully we come out refined as, as gold through the fire and all the draw aside, we will be like him. Amen? And when all is said and done, as we go through all the tests and trials, we will mature in Christ, we'll mature in our walk, become more like him, be a more effective witness of the kingdom, and can look forward to when the king of kings will place the crown of righteousness on our head. Because what this talks about, when he says, go, um, I've got ahead of myself a little bit, but what he talks about, this crown that he talks about that we'll receive, is the victor's crown. Now, it's not the kingly crown we're thinking. It's the athlete who runs the race, and at the end, he gets the crown. He gets the crown because he won the race. And what he's saying, you'll receive this crown when you get through the test and trial. The Lord will crown you that you made it through. You leaned on me. Amen? Amen. Praise God. And I'm going to conclude with this uh, passage of Scripture. And it's going to sum up really everything we've talked about this morning. 2 Timothy 4, 7-8. I pray at the end of end of it all, we can all say this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also for all who have longed for his appearing. Christian, keep fighting the good fight every day through the highs and lows, leaning on your relationship with the Lord and who he is, seeking his wisdom, his guidance, and remain faithful. Come through as one who has stood the test, one who is genuine, one who received the victor's crown at the end of the race because we made it through. Amen? And he will place that crown on our head, and at some point, he's going to crown us with the crown of righteousness when we see him for who he is. Amen? Listen, tests and trials will come, but we don't have to face them alone. You hear me? We don't face them alone. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. I go back to what I said before. Do you believe in his word? Do you believe he is who he is? Do you believe in his promises? He'd never leave us nor forsake us. He also said, ask for wisdom and guidance, and he'll pour it out on us generously. So, child of God, stand on his promises, his love, and as the storms of life come, and they will, remember, he still calms the wind and the waves. You hear me? 
He still calms the wind and the waves. All we have to do is walk by faith. Amen. And with that said, as we prepare for communion, I asked Matt to play a, a video. Um, beautiful song. You know me, I love my music. But this is a beautiful song. I've, I always run it by my wife. And just listen to this. It touched me. <laughs> Afraid to lose. I feel unqualified for what you're calling me to. With all of your strength, I've got no excuse. Cause broken people are exactly who you use. So give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me hope like Moses in the wilderness. God. Look, we're going to face giants. It's called life. But we can face it with confidence in who he is and in the word of God. Amen? So if I could say a sermon in 30 seconds, that was it. Alright? We face it in his confidence. Praise God and who we are in him. Let's bow our heads for prayer and, and prepare for communion. Father, we